while they're getting a few things arranged. Thank you all so much. What a wonderful job. We are blessed to be a church with lots of folks that are plugged in. One of the hardest things we have in recent years is getting everybody plugged in that wants to be plugged in with some things. So we're really grateful that we could uh, have this happen again today. So you, y'all really did a great job. Thank y'all so much, so much. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Luke. Um, you don't get out of here without a sermon. Thank you. Um, I, uh, um, so we're going to be in the book of Luke, and this is what's going to happen. If your sermon study guide is wrong, right? It, it was right until Friday morning when I changed the sermon. Um, but this is what's happening. We, we've been in the book of Acts now all year, well, I guess since February, and my intention was to preach to you out of the book of Acts again today. But it occurred to me, we have so many folks who are new to the faith, um, maybe new to the church, they just don't have a good grounding in some of these sort of uh, traditions that we have in the church or, or church words. And one of the things that we celebrate on the Sunday before Easter, every single year is Palm Sunday. There's a reason our cantata happens today, and there's a reason that, um, that we honor and celebrate Palm Sunday. And so today we're going to, I'm going to call an audible, we're going to step back and punt, I'm going to preach this act sermon for our um, sunrise service next Sunday, so it doesn't all go to waste. This morning, your study guide is wrong. We will email you out um, probably as soon as this is over or first thing in the morning. We'll email you the study guide so that you'll have it for, for, for life groups next week. Kevin's already got that to send to y'all. Um, but this morning, you're just gonna, it's going to be hard, but I think we can do this. You're going to take your pen, okay? And at the top of your study guide, you're just going to scratch out what I said, and you're just going to write in the points as they go, okay? But we are in Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, and just sort of a, uh, a traditional, typical Palm Sunday sermon that comes from one of our traditional, typical Palm Sunday texts. So we're going to read a long time, and I tell you that as a warning. If you have a hard time standing, we're going to read from Luke chapter 19, verse 28, all the way through verse 48. So if you have a hard time standing that long, we understand. So don't worry about it. If you want to keep your seat when we stand to do all this reading, or if halfway through you just need to sit down, that is just fine, okay? But if you would, for those of you that are able, stand with me in honor of God's Word, and I'm going to begin reading in Luke chapter 19, verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away... Excuse me. Those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Let's pray together. Father God, your word is right and true. I pray, Father God, that you would hide me behind this word, that, Father God, you would speak louder than any man, that your Holy Spirit would move among us, that we would be overwhelmed by the goodness and grace of this God who saves. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Let me just say a word of thanks before we jump in. Last Sunday, I preached a little revival service out at the racetrack, which was a lot of fun. Uh, might be something we do a little bit different next year and, and get more folks involved. But uh, one of the things that was really cool for me, I was here for part of Life Group and I left. Um, I never leave. Like I get here 7, 7.30 on Sunday mornings and I'm here until all y'all leave or whatever. But I left and I, y'all have done such a wonderful job. There were so many cars parked around back to make room for everybody to show, that's showing up to park in the front. So I just want to thank y'all for doing that, for parking out there. I think we've had just about as many people parked around back as we do out front. So uh, uh, thank y'all for doing that. Just one word of reminder, next Sunday we will be full, real full, okay? Um, your mama's going to come and, and your grandbabies are going to come. All the people are going to be here. We've got baptism. We've got Easter. Everybody will forget about everything and everybody will show up here next Sunday. I want you to be here. Okay, if you can park in the back, park in the back. Um, we also are just going to ask you, like, until our children leave next Sunday morning, it's going to be like can't hardly breathe full in here. You understand? We added a, we've added actually about forty chairs, maybe fifty chairs more than we're in here two weeks ago right now. Um, so we we did that. It's still going to be full. So next Sunday when you get here, do us the favor of like sliding to the middle. If you're one of our regulars, we love y'all. We want y'all to be a little uncomfortable next Sunday so folks who aren't regular can be a little more comfortable, okay? So um, uh, we're going to let our teenagers sit on the floor or something. I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to try our best to make as much space as we can. All right, having said that, sometimes in the church we use all sorts of terms and phrases and we sort of assume that everybody just kind of knows, right? So we might throw out big theological words or, 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 or sometimes just big calendar words. Um, and, and increasingly, as our culture is post-Christian, we find that even, for instance, in our children's ministry, we can't use words and phrases that we could have in the past assumed that everybody knew. 
So it was uh, common years ago for everybody to kind of know Daniel in the lion's den, maybe as a for instance, or know about King David, even if they didn't know about anything else. Well, the reality is we've moved into a situation now where when we talk about Daniel, we have to explain who Daniel is and why that matters, because we don't assume anymore that 12 or 14 year olds have any knowledge, working, understanding the scriptures. But still sometimes when you're a pastor who's been doing this pretty much your whole life and grew up since you were, you know, nine months in utero in a Baptist church, you can forget that not everybody shares the same common language. And so we talk about something like Easter or, or Good Friday or Palm Sunday, and we sort of do it with the understanding that everybody knows what we're talking about. But the reality is, unless somebody told you, you have no idea. I mean, we talk about Good Friday as the day that Jesus died, and people have to go, well, what would be so good about it if Jesus died? Well, if you've been in church long enough, you know that the good thing about Jesus' death is that Jesus died so that you and I might be set free from our sin. It was bad for Jesus, but good for us because in His grace, love, and mercy, He has extended to us the opportunity for salvation through that. When we talk about Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday is the Sunday that we observe on the Sunday right before Easter. And we observe that as a reminder of that Sunday that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the Sunday that I just read to you about. And we call it Palm Sunday because, why? Because the people spread palm branches in the road as Jesus arrived. There's not some mystical meaning to all this. It's just pretty easy. If they had had more coats than palms, we might have called it Coat Sunday because everybody threw them down in front of him, right? But they waved palm branches and they spread them out on the road. And in so doing, they brought praise, glory, and honor to the king who had arrived. Today we're stepping away from Acts to preach this very traditional Palm Sunday sermon because these words never get old. And because if you don't know what Palm Sunday is, I don't want you to leave today without knowing. And for goodness sakes, I want to make sure that in this stage of your Christian journey... You're growing in your understanding of all that God's Word has for you. Why, though, did Jesus come to Jerusalem? That's the question we want to wrestle with because Jesus knew that when he got here or there, Jesus knew what was waiting for him on the other side. Jesus knew that he rode into Jerusalem, down the Mount of Olives, up the hill into Jerusalem. He knew that before the week was out, he would walk up another hill to Calvary, bearing a cross where he would die for your sins and for mine. Why then did Jesus come into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? The first thing I want you to see this morning is that Jesus came to fulfill God's plan. Jesus came to fulfill God's plan. If you were to turn back about 10 chapters in your Bible into Luke chapter 9, you'd find that Luke chapter 9 verse 51 represents a transitional place in the book of Luke. See, up to this point, we've got Jesus kind of doing Jesus' everyday thing. But in Luke chapter 9 verse 51, just turn there if you don't have it already. Turn there and we read these words from Luke. Remember, Luke is the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. So we're still working with the same guy that we've been working with. But in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, the Bible says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. There's a difference here. Jesus is no longer just doing what he has been doing. The Bible says that the days drew near and Jesus set his face. You could even use language like this. As the days were fulfilled for Jesus to be received, he set his 
space to go to Jerusalem. Luke wants us to understand there are no accidents right here. The days had been completed. The time was upon him, and Jesus set his face. I like what one commentator says, like a flint. He made up his mind in this place. In this moment, we see a transition. Prior to this, we have what is especially present in Mark's uh, ministry as is, is Jesus' sort of um, uh, divine secret, messianic secret. Jesus isn't making a big deal about who he is up to this point. We're going to see more of this in our second point this morning. But prior to this, Jesus' ministry is primarily his ministry of teaching and preaching, his ministry of healing, his ministry of being a, a fun, good teacher to everybody around. But Mark 9, 51, sh- everything shifts in Daryl Bach's commentary on Luke, it's two massive volumes. And the first volume is Luke chapter 1 through Luke chapter 9, verse 50. The second volume is Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through the end of the book. We organize our calendar as before Christ and Anno Domine, right? After Christ, and then that, that AD, or in the year of our Lord in the Latin. So we have before Jesus and after Jesus. Jesus' life, his ministry, could be characterized as before Luke 9.51 and after Luke 9.51. The ministry leading up to this place and then the point where Jesus puts his foot in the dirt and says, I am headed to the cross. Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That's what the book of Revelation teaches us. There are no accidents here because Jesus is the conqueror spoken of all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. When we say that Jesus came to fulfill God's plan, it's not like God made a plan on Monday and Jesus followed through on Sunday. Do you understand? The Bible says that before the foundations of the earth were laid, Jesus' salvation had been planned. Jesus' death was a part of God's created intention. And so in Genesis chapter 3, after sin enters the world, the Bible says that God cursed the woman, God cursed the man, and God cursed the serpent. But what was a part of that curse? He said that there would be a seed that would come from the woman, and that seed would what? That the serpent would bruise his heel, but the seed of the woman would step on the head of the serpent. The King James says it would crush his head. We call that the proto Evangelion, you like that? It's a good word, isn't it? It means the first gospel. The very first proclamation of the gospel doesn't happen in the New Testament. It happens three chapters into the Bible. Before Adam and Eve ever leave the Garden of Eden, before God cast them out because of their sin, God promises a Redeemer, a Savior. Why did Jesus ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? Jesus showed up in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to fulfill God's plan. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. You're not going to find that one, okay? I'm going to read it to you. Like some of you can, but most of you aren't going to get there before I get this read. It's in the Minor Prophets. It's almost at the end of the Old Testament. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, several hundred years before Jesus comes onto the scene, Zechariah wrote these words, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold! Your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
Jesus showed up in Jerusalem to fulfill God's plans. Why did Jesus ride in on a donkey and not a white horse? Jesus didn't come as many had expected or hoped. See, many of the Jews assumed that Jesus would arrive seated on a white horse as Roman conquering generals did. But Jesus showed up on a donkey and not just that, a baby one. Why? See, Jesus did not come to fulfill your hopes or expectations. Jesus came to fulfill God's plan. And watch this. God's plan is always better than yours. And mine. Many of the Jews rejected Jesus because they were expecting Jesus to show up to fulfill their plan. But Jesus came to fulfill God's plan. Listen to me this morning. I don't have forever to preach because they sang so long. But you did a great job. It's good. <laughs> Listen to me this morning. God's plan is better than your plan. Right? And I'm, I'm not giving you that, that grandma phrase, well, God's ways aren't our ways. That's true. But what I'm telling you is this. God's plan is better than your plan. He knows what you don't know. His ways are better. Sometimes we miss Jesus because we're looking for Jesus to fit into our plan. And Jesus is doing everything to break us out of our mold and get us into his plan. Y'all have heard me say before when I talk about my call to ministry, I don't say that I I, I, I chose to do these things. I use old words. I say this. I say I surrendered to God's call in my life. Because, folks, I did. I didn't want any part of it. You understand? I didn't like that idea initially. I said, Lord, fine. After he'd beat on me for a while, I said, fine, Lord, whatever you want, I'll do it. I give up. Because I was trying my best to force God into my mold. But God was molding me into an instrument usable for His purposes. Jesus came to fulfill God's plan. And folks, listen to me. That's not just God's plan for all of eternity. Jesus came to fulfill God's plan for your life. If you think about Palm Sunday, are you willing to allow Jesus to make you into something other than what you anticipated? Are you willing to allow Jesus to look different than you expected him to look? To be different than you expected him to be? Are you willing to follow the Savior that would ride in on a donkey instead of the king that would enter on a white horse? The second reason Jesus came to Jerusalem is this. Jesus came to proclaim his divinity. Up to this point, as I mentioned, in this place, we're still, there are still questions about what exactly Jesus is doing, who he is. Yes, he's, he's, he's amassed a lot of followers. He's got a lot of people around him. All these people are doing all these things. But up to this point, there's still lots of questions, right? What does Jesus claim to be? Now, I made brief reference to this just a minute ago, but Mark in, in particular, and it's not only Mark, but it's especially Mark. Mark talks or, or has what... Scholars refer to as, as the messianic secret. Okay, Up to a certain place in his ministry, Jesus seems to be most concerned with not letting people know why he's here. Jesus seems to be very concerned with everything going just the way that, that, that it is, with people not being completely on board. It's like, 
hey, why is Jesus around? And, well, he's a good teacher. He's fun at a party. He's all these other things. But when people begin to notice him, you remember that place where Jesus encounters the Gadarene demoniac and the other situation where he starts casting demons out of people. And the demons come out and they begin to cry out, we know who you are. And he says, you hush and you go somewhere else. Remember that? When he looks at the disciples and says, who do you say that I am? And they say, well, people say you're this and people say you're that. And they say, well, who do you say I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, shh. Why was there this secrecy on Jesus' part? Well, some of it has to do with just the reality that Jesus was trying to make sure that there was not all the surrounding. So we can have just sort of the, the sort of everyday aspect, right? Like Jesus needs to continue to teach. And if he starts saying too much, then people are going to gather around him. There's also the realization that Jesus understood that people expected the Messiah to be this earthly king. And as a result, Jesus needs to kind of keep this on the down low so that people don't try to force him into something he doesn't want to do. The other thing, though, is that Jesus has to get to Jerusalem to die. Jesus has to get to Jerusalem to die because unless that happens, the whole plan fails. Jesus came to Jerusalem not only so that he could fulfill God's plan. He came to Jerusalem to proclaim his his divinity. Look in Luke chapter 19. The Bible says that the people began saying in verse 38, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, I tell you, if these stones were quiet, or excuse me, these people were quiet, the very stones would cry out. Jesus had done great things, but there was more to do. But understand, these great things that needed to be done could only be accomplished by the Son of God. The Bible says all the way back, not that far, chapter 19, verse 10 of Luke, as he's speaking with Zacchaeus, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. How was it that the lost would be saved? Why does this matter? Do you remember in, all the way back in Psalm 51? Psalm 51 is David's crying out to the Lord after his sin with Bathsheba. And he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Against you and you alone am I guilty, Lord. Folks, when we think about what is owed, we think about the debt that needs to be paid. If the sin is against God, it is only God who can forgive that sin. It was necessary not just that anyone come, but that God come to earth and die for the sins of man so that we might be forgiven. Jesus came to Jerusalem to take away all doubt. No longer would there be questions about who he was. When Jesus showed up in Jerusalem, Jesus determined to make sure that the whole world knew who he claimed to be. And so when the Pharisees said, will you shut them up? Jesus says, I can't. See, we in our 21st century eyes don't understand all of this. We don't see this. But what the Pharisees knew was that these people were claiming that Jesus was the Messiah. And the Pharisees looked at Jesus and they said, these people are guilty of blasphemy. What was the... What was the penalty for blasphemy? Death by stoning, right? These people are guilty of blasphemy, Jesus. Tell them to hush. 
or we're going to stone you and them. Jesus says, tell them to hush. You think that they're going to hush? The rock that you would pick up to shut them up will scream my glory and praise. You might be able to stop them, but you can't stop this because the rock that you would use to break me is the rock that will rise up to praise me. Do you see what's fixing to happen? Jesus proclaims his divinity. Jesus gives us a picture, a complete understanding. That rock that would bring about salvation as it proclaimed Jesus points us to the cross that will scream God's glory because the cross that breaks him breaks the power of death, hell, sin, and the grave. And it is the very cross of Jesus that brings about the salvation of men, women, boys, and girls. Jesus came to Jerusalem to declare and to proclaim his divinity. Number three this morning, Jesus came to Jerusalem to make a way for you and for me. Jesus came to Jerusalem to make a way for you and for me. The story of Jesus driving money changers out of the temple is probably bigger than you understand, right? See, Jesus showed up, and, 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 and listen, y'all, I wish I had about three hours to tell you everything that's contained in here. I do. I wish we could talk about how Jesus comes down, uh, comes across the Mount of Olives, and there's Jerusalem sitting up there. I wish we could talk about how he rides up. In the, I wish I could talk to you about all the things he passes along the way and all the stories that are there, all the object lessons that Jesus makes that we can tie in all the stories from all the gospel accounts. Remember, we have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each one of those gives us a different angle, a different understanding of Jesus' life and his ministry and his teaching. I wish we could do all that this morning, but y'all would get home hungry and tired and angry and throw things at me, okay? So if it seems like we're running through it, we are because y'all are impatient. But if y'all weren't, just imagine what we could do. See, it's y'all's fault. Jesus came to proclaim his divinity, but y'all, that's not all. He came to make a way for you and for me. See, the story that we finished with in Luke chapter 19 is the story of Jesus driving out those who were gathered in the temple selling and exchanging money. Now, this is going to excite you if you don't already know what's happening right here. So who are these people, right? They're religious leaders of some sort, right? They're, 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 they're trying to make a little profit. Now, to some degree, they're offering a good service. You traveled a long way. You need to offer a sacrifice. You didn't want to... Bring your sheep or your lamb or your goat or whatever with you the whole way, your pigeons. And so they've got these animals waiting for you when you get there. You bring your money, you buy the animals. And somebody says, well, that's great. Well, it might have been okay except for the fact that they had to make sure that you changed the money first. You got to make sure that you're paying for it in the right kind of coinage. Well, the Bible goes on to explain to us that these money changers in the temple were actually crooked, Right? So rather than just making a way for you to easily handle your sacrifice, now remember, the Old Testament says that it's okay if, if you're traveling a distance for you to bring the money with you and to buy your sacrifice when you arrive. That's actually, that's good. But what it doesn't say is okay is for there to be dishonest weights and measures. So they get there and they're like, well, we would love to sell you this pigeon, but before we do, we need to change this into the proper coinage for the temple. And all you have is this Roman money, but, or, or maybe you come from far off and you don't even have proper coinage. You've just got raw gold. Here's what we've got to do. We've got to exchange your money for this money before we can actually sell this to you. 
But oh, there's a little fee for that. And there's a fee for this. It's like going to the airport, right? Don't you love it? You show up with your ticket and you're like, hello, I'm here to fly on your airplane. And they're like, welcome, we're so glad to have you. And I say, here's my bag. And they say, that'll be another 40 bucks. I'm like, whoa, whoa, I thought I bought a ticket. You know, and then they weigh it and they're like, oh, it's six ounces over. That's another 60 bucks. Yeah, it's kind of like that, right? Except even more crooked because, you know, gas prices weren't through the roof for them back then. Nobody laughed, sorry. Um, those gas prices are a little too close to our heart, aren't they? You see, what's happening is these people, in the name of God, in the name of worship, are actually creating one more roadblock on the way to the right worship of Yahweh, of the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Jews. But it gets worse. Where were these people located? They were in a particular place in the temple complex. Which court? Somebody just said court. Which court? The court of the Gentiles. Now it just clicked with some of you. The court of the Gentiles was the most open place in the temple complex. People like me and you couldn't get further in, but people like me and you could get to the court of the Gentiles because that's who we are. We are not ethnic Jews unless you are. I'm not. I couldn't have rolled up into Jerusalem in the first century and walked into the temple because I was not a Jew. The best I could do was to get into the court of the Gentiles. And imagine Craig Thompson, just as white as the driven snow. Y'all see how white I am? If, I mean, if this shirt is as white as my skin. I am not Middle Eastern descent. You understand? Blonde hair, red beard, blue eyes, all the things. I show up and they say, man, you don't fit in around here. And I roll up in there and I say, I know I don't. But you see, I heard about the God of Israel. And I've seen what he's done. And even though I don't look like you, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was also the God of Ruth and of Rahab. And I believe that he can save me the way he saved those Ninevites. See, I think, I know that the God of Israel is the one true God. And even though I don't belong with you, I believe I belong with him. And I brought my money and I am here to offer my sacrifice. And they say, you need a $75 sacrifice. But it's going to cost you another $75 to get it. And you say, and I'm going to say, no, 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 I just need to get in. And Jesus walks in. And Jesus walks in to the court of the Gentiles. And he sees God's people creating barriers for others to make it into the worship of the one true and living God. And when Jesus gets there, he looks around and he grabs the table and he flips it. 
In other accounts, the Bible says he takes a whip and he drives them out. And it's a picture of what he's going to do six days later. Because the Bible says that when he died on the cross, that the temple veil was torn in two. Folks, listen to me. Palm Sunday is a reminder that Jesus made a way for you. Jesus made a way for you. Do you understand that of all the things that Jesus had to do, could have done when he showed up in Jerusalem, Jesus could have stood and preached from the Temple Mount. Jesus could have welcomed his throngs of followers. Jesus could have confronted the king or the religious authorities. But the first thing Jesus does is walk into the one place where he doesn't even have to be. He goes into the court of the Gentiles and he throws over the money changers' tables and he runs them out and he says, My father's house will be a house of prayer for who? For all peoples. Palm Sunday is a reminder that no matter where you are from or what you have done, Jesus has made a way for you. Jesus has made a way for me. And if the only thing we know about Palm Sunday is waving palm branches, then we've missed it. Palm Sunday is not primarily about what everybody did when Jesus showed up. Palm Sunday is all about what Jesus did when Jesus showed up. If nobody had seen him coming, it wouldn't have mattered all that much because Jesus went on purpose with a purpose. Start spitting up here. i got to stop that. Like an independent. Getting Pentecostal up here. It's bad. Let's lock this thing down. Listen to me. Jesus came to fulfill God's plan. Jesus came to proclaim his divinity. Jesus came to Jerusalem to make a way for you. Listen, that all leads up to this. Jesus came to Jerusalem to die for your sins. Jesus came to Jerusalem to die for your sins. We celebrate Palm Sunday because of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Remember, Good Friday wasn't good for Jesus, but it was good for me and you. Because there Jesus died the death that we deserved so that we might have the life that we could never earn. Palm Sunday really doesn't matter unless Jesus went all the way to the cross and walked out of the tomb, but he did. Some of you here today need to be reminded that Jesus came to Jerusalem for you. Here's what I don't think. Or believe, rather. I don't believe in coincidences and accidents. I believe that you're here today because God had this sermon for you. Did I tell you I wasn't planning to preach it? I'd love to find out how many of you decided on Friday morning that you're going to be here on Sunday. I'd like to find that out. If somebody figured out on Thursday that they had to be here, because I'm going to tell you what happened to me is Thursday I started processing. Wednesday, I printed that, that thing that you have in your hands on Wednesday. That sermon was finished Wednesday. Thursday afternoon, I talked to the staff here, part of them. I said, guys, I don't think I can preach that sermon. And on Friday morning, I was up here rewriting this one. I'm curious, how many of you woke up on Thursday and didn't know you were going to be here, but something shifted on Thursday, you decided you need to be here? Any of you at about 10.30 on Friday 
decide you need to be here? Because if I find out that somebody found out at 1030 on Friday morning that you need to be here at 1030 on Sunday morning, here's what you need to know. God was working out a divine appointment for you to hear this message. And if you walk out of here with anything less than a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've missed out on the opportunity that God's given you. Don't waste it. He puts you on his calendar. He made an appointment. And he brought you here. Not so that I could yell at you. That's what some of you thought, right? No. He brought you here because he loves you. He brought you here so that you could hear this. He went to Jerusalem to die for you. Some of you haven't given your life to Christ because maybe he doesn't fit the mold you expected. You, you really wanted that Savior on a white horse and all you, go, all you got is a Palestinian preacher on a broke-down donkey. There's a lot of religious leaders that looked at Jesus and said, shut them up. Unless you're going to mount that white steed, you shut their mouths. And Jesus said, what's you going to do? Shut me up. The rocks will scream. He didn't look like you wanted him to look. That's because you don't look like he wants you to look. You understand that? He's got a plan for your life. It's bigger than you know. It's better. We celebrate Palm Sunday because of what Jesus did and what he's going to do. He didn't fit the mold for many people in Jerusalem, but he's going to come back, and when he returns, he's going to turn the tables over again. Everything's going to be shifted and different. He will not return as a teacher on a donkey. He comes back as a conquering king on a white horse to claim his own. And in that day, the opportunities for repentance will have faded. Why did Jesus show up on a donkey? So that you could know him. You understand, once he rides in on a white horse, the day is done. We're going to finish right here. The idea of a white horse actually doesn't come from Jewish literature, Jewish history, it's Roman. Okay? And after, this is kind of, <laughs> history works for us. This is, this is kind of what Vladimir Putin's dream was, right? That he could go in and blow over Ukraine and then ride out on a white horse and show everybody how great he was. That hasn't worked out real well for him. Here, here's, what, here's what Roman generals did. They conquered vassal states. And then the conquering general would ride at the head of a parade. And he would ride at the head of that parade. And behind him would be some of his soldiers. Behind him would be some of those who were part of the battle. But even further back, you know who would be in the back? Conquered enemies, chained together, often naked, being paraded through the streets of Rome, embarrassed overwhelmed. They had been defeated. Israel's looking for a conquering king on a white horse. But folks, listen to me. When the conquering king on a white horse shows up, the game is over. The war is ended. The time is past. We couldn't handle a conquering king on a white horse. We needed a humble servant on a colt, the foal of a donkey, so that we might be invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. He didn't look like you expected him to look. That's because you didn't need what you thought you needed. 
Jesus died for you. And he's arranged this appointment for you to be here today and to hear that message. I don't care where you've been or what you've done. He put you in his calendar this week with this message. He loves you. He desires to set your life right. He rode into Jerusalem to die so that you might live. How about do me this favor before you leave here today? Why don't you die to your sin so that you might live for Jesus Christ? What's that look like for you? It's not as hard as you might think. Today you cry out to Jesus for salvation. He will save you. Remember what I said to you? When Zacchaeus encountered Jesus, Jesus' words, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Billy Graham once said the hardest thing about preaching in the South was what? Getting people lost before you get them saved. Some of you just need to finally just admit the truth. You're lost and in need of a Savior. Some of you have been lying to yourself and everybody else for far too long. Jesus didn't ride into Jerusalem so that you could continue lying. Jesus didn't ride into Jerusalem so you could continue to be enslaved to your sin. Jesus didn't ride into Jerusalem so that people could throw palm branches in front of him. Jesus rode into Jerusalem so that you could be set free. We celebrate Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday because Jesus came for you. Today, we're going to stand and sing. And when we do, I'm going to stand right down front. I would love to pray with you. To help you to understand, to know that you're saved. To know that when the king returns on a white horse, you'll be his. For all of eternity. You say, Craig, I didn't show up for this this morning. <laughs> you did, actually. You just didn't know it. God had a plan. God's plan may very well have been to save you today. Will you surrender to God's plan and get out of your own ideas? His ways are not our ways. They are eternally, supremely better. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So you're not the only one. All of us have. Jesus came to die for those sins. As we stand and sing, would you come and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? Father God, I pray, I thank you, Lord God, for loving us. I thank you for your word that never fails. Thank you for Jesus who came that we might have life. Forgive us, Lord, for our sin. Show us our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us this morning as we sing.